Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going backwards. Now you're going to see what we're going to do. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for the privilege of having it in our hands. We thank you for your spirit, Lord, putting it into our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to our lives today, but we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I was watching something with Loretta. I'm not really sure what it was, because sometimes she'll have the Italian TV on. I think it was a documentary. And, uh, and I saw a well in the desert. And these people, these, these women actually, with these uh, sticks and, and, their, and their pots lining up to, to get water. And I just kind of thought, my goodness, I mean, when, when you go, when you travel to Italy, when you travel to Rome, it's amazing how every few meters there's a fountain. And you can drink from every single fountain there. You know, there's always fresh water. There's always good water. Um, but when you go to other parts of the world, it's really difficult. We have Elfie, for example, here at Beat. They're not here today, but I mean, they used to be part of the church. They are actually digging wells in Africa because many people have no potable water. And yet, and they put a well and everybody goes to that well to get water. Why? Because water is absolutely necessary, right? And, uh, and so I was really struck by the fact that, um, that, the necessity. Sometimes we can be, become accustomed to the things that are available and don't realize how much we need them and how much we would do to actually have them. And, um, and so today, um, you know, it, we, we have been tackling the woman at the well. It, Jesus said to her, tackling the subject of the well. <laughs> <laughs> And it says, it says, but Jesus said to her, but whoever, <laughs> but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There is a theme in the, in the la in in chapters one through seven of the book of John, that's where we're kind of going backwards. There is a theme of the spirit of God. If you go to chapter one, verse 32, it says, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he, listen to this, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. If you go to chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered to Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. In chapter 3, verse 34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Listen to this. For God does not give his spirit by measure. He doesn't give, he doesn't let, let him trickle. He doesn't give the spirit by measure. It's abundance. Then with the woman at the well, we see, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then go to chapter 7 and verse 38. Well, actually, verse 37. On the last day of the great feast, Je Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So you see this theme in chapters 1 through 7 of this thirst in the soul of man and this and the Holy Spirit given to us. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's really important that we ask ourselves, what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? After all, in Romans it says, he who does not have the Spirit has no part in God. And Christianity is separated from any other religion in, the, in this sense that in every other religion or, or, or cult or whatever it is, it is what we must do. You know, it's a, it's a religion of idols. is what we must achieve, what we must offer, what we must do, what we must give. Where Christianity is all about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And I want to ask a question today. Are we aware of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And how do we know the Spirit is working in us powerfully? What are some of the tests that we can give ourselves? You know, the Bible says, in, in 2 Corinthians it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now the word examine does not mean introspection. It doesn't mean keep looking in and find something wrong so you could just condemn yourself. The word examine is to look within to see Actually, something good that God is doing. 
unless there isn't there and you can actually give your life to the Lord. But what are some of the tests? Number one, to know that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we will have a sense of the Holy Spirit prompting us, urging us, leading us. In a sense, we'll have a sense that we are not the ones the Pharisees came. <laughs> but we will, we will have a sense that we are not the ones driving. We are not the God. We are being led. We are being prompted. We are being moved. He prompts us. He urges us. He leads us. Listen to this, Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He moves upon us. When a person becomes a Christian, even before a person becomes a Christian, the Spirit of God creates a disturbance with them. They begin to ask questions they had never asked before. I remember, uh, I remember being in Kalanachala here on the other side of the island, being completely high as a kite. And, uh, and my friends telling me, you got to get off this island, you're going to die. And these were drug addicts telling me that I was going to die. I was like, you know, and I remember looking in the mirror in a club as someone was in the toilet vomiting on heroin and they were saying this is so good and i remember looking in the mirror and saying i will never be like that and then the spirit of god moving upon my heart saying that's what you said about where you are at right now there was a disturbance there was an activity it wasn't me reasoning with myself it was somebody else reasoning with me there was a moving A disturbance created. The Spirit produces a kind of disturbance within us, moving, urging, prompting. We are aware of a power dealing with us, a power other than ourselves, a person other than ourselves. The next thing that we know that the, the Holy Spirit produces in us is the Spirit always leads us to a life of vigor and liveliness. The truly spiritual man, the Christian who is indwelled, filled with the Holy Spirit, is never a man who has to, be, who has to drag himself and, pour, and, and, uh, and force himself to do things. Oh my goodness, I got to read the Bible once again. Oh, I've got to go to church today. What a dread. Now, the Spirit of God puts desires in our hearts 
that actually long for these things, a vigor to long for these things. And, and you might think to yourself, well, sometimes I have that, sometimes I don't. And that's the, the thing about in our, in our lives. What we need to do is learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to take over our lives and that we would listen to those promptings. But there's a life of vigor. There's the, the Christian, there's a power in him, a vigor, a liveliness, because the Spirit is a life-giving Spirit. One of the, you know, the verses that mean to me the most in the Bible are the ones that I read when I first became a Christian. And I remember reading this verse and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It says, Colossians 1.29 says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. To this end, I also work. I'm working so hard toward this end, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. But the NIV puts it differently, actually. It says, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy. Struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I mean, Paul's saying, I mean, I, I'm working hard, but he no longer worked like he used to work as a Pharisee without Jesus. Now he's working, he's invigorated by the Spirit of God. He's a different guy. Under a different influence, Listen how the Bible was written, how the prophets were moved. In 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Listen to this. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the Holy Spirit moving upon our lives. And if you're lethargic, you need to ask yourself, am I, am I indwelt? Am I filled with the Spirit of God? Or am I quenching what God wants to do in my life? It's crazy. It's crazy to me that the Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. It's crazy that it says that because you've got to think the Holy Spirit is in omnipotent. That means he's got all power. And yet somehow, although he has all power and he can enforce his way everywhere, he chooses to allow himself to be quenched. So that we can actually put stoppages there. We can actually build a dam where the water does not flow in. And the, and the woman at the well, if Jesus says to him, it'll be like, um, it, it says, uh, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life, a fountain. You know, it's, oh my goodness, I just see a fountain just gushing out and you just, you can just satisfy all your thirst there, yielding to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God gives us the ability to live and to witness. 
with confidence and not with insecurity. On the road to Emmaus, the two disciples were walking and Jesus drew near to them and, and Jesus said, hey, what, what's going on? What is it that you're talking about? We had hoped, they said, we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. There's an insecurity there. There was a underlying unbelief there of the things that had happened among them. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Denied the Lord. But after the resurrection and at the pouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up in the middle of the whole city filled with people and he says, you crucified the Prince of Life. What happened, Peter? What happened to the fear? What happened to the doubts? What happened to the stuff? What happened is the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of his life, baptized him, filled him. He gives boldness. One of the things we need to realize in our, in our walk with God is that when we feel insufficient, when we feel weak, when we feel like we cannot be of help of, to anyone, we need to realize that that's probably the time where God was to use us the most. One of the things we need to realize is that God loves to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and he does it in the power of his spirit. And one of the greatest things that we can learn in our life is not to rely on our ability, but on his ability. God used Priscilla and Aquila Fill them with the Spirit, with confidence, with, with, with the knowledge of the Word of God. And Apollos was an incredible guy. He was just sharp. He came from the, from the school. He came from a school in northern Africa. They were just like the bright guys. You know, they, they were just amazing. And yet Aquila and Priscilla drew near and explained the Scriptures more clearly to him. And he realized the need for the Spirit of God in his life. Next, the Spirit always leads us to prayer. Gives us the ability to pray. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I hate, I, every time I think of prayer and I think of wrong kind of prayer or, or just my own mentality, I think of Pink Floyd. And they have that song, uh, comfort, comfort, comfortably numb and it starts with hello 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 is there anybody in there can anybody hear me doom doom is there anyone home that is not the kind of prayer you want <laughs> you know the holy spirit leads us to prayer it says 
that sometimes we know not what we ought to pray, but the Spirit of God with groanings inside of us, praise helps us in our weakness to pray. And it's amazing. You've know, you know the difference. You know the difference between, um, and, and I, I know I need structure in my life. I, there's one thing that I really need is a certain amount of structure in my life. But, but I, sometimes when you have lists of people to pray for, okay, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. Okay, check. I prayed for them. And I prayed for so But check, prayed for that. But it's a big difference between praying like that and praying when God puts things on your heart. You keep waking up in the middle of the night and you just think about it and you can see that there's business between you and God. Even on behalf of somebody else, sometimes at church and even, even right now, yesterday I called a friend of mine who's right before Christmas, they had to operate her, his daughter with a brain tumor. And I had not heard from him in a while and I, and I called him but he didn't pick up and I thought, oh, and then, and then I get scared. I don't want to call again, you know. And then yesterday I sent a text message. It was malign. It was malignant. So they had to do chemo. And all of a sudden you carry that. And you think about the family. And you see a business going on there. Man, that's the spirit. Have you ever noticed in James it says that the, the prayer of faith the prayer of faith is not just a prayer that you believe. The prayer of faith is that those prayers that God works in our life, in our heart. He puts burdens on us, concerns, even thankfulness. But the Spirit leads us not to a dead prayer where you're swinging back and forth or whether you're just repeating words. It, it, it takes you, he, he takes you, the Holy Spirit takes you to a life of fellowship with God. Maybe concerns in the world, maybe concerns in people's lives, maybe concerns in churches. And oftentimes we spend much more time criticizing than we spend praying. Just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Do you experience this? And notice what we read in chapter 1, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless the one is born of the water and the... No, sorry, not that, chapter 1. Um, it says, He who baptized with the Holy Spirit, he will baptize... Um, well, somewhere else it says, with, with fire. And when it speaks about baptizing us with the Spirit and with fire, what does fire do? Remember the pillar of fire by night in the wilderness with the children of Israel? What did it do? It illuminated and it warmed. 
And you know what? One thing that we would realize as, as, we, as we experience and as we sense the Holy Spirit in our life, we will realize that the Holy Spirit gives light and understanding of the Word of God and gives light and understanding of the Jesus of the Word of God. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures is Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. You know, because I, I remember, uh, you know, when it comes to prayer, uh, you have those verses that says, I don't know, I just associate it to real life. You know, I, I don't separate the Bible from real life. So, so to me, it's just like when Jesus says, anything you ask in my name, I will give to you. I'm not that literal with it. Because I know that my grandmother used to send me in the store, to the store, and she would say, go to the store, and when you get the stuff that I've asked you to get, put it in my name. So if I went and grabbed all the chocolate, and I said, put it in the name of my grandmother, the shopkeeper would say, Maria? And I wouldn't get it. But when I read Ephesians uh, 1.17, and I realize that it is Paul praying under the influence and under the moving of the Holy Spirit, I realize that what he's praying, when he bows his head to pray, I know that that is a prayer that God wants to answer in my life for sure. For sure. There is no doubt. And listen what it says. And the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know what the hope of your calling is in him. Not that you may think, that you may know what is the hope of your calling in him, and notice he says, I'm pr I pray that the eyes of your understanding, and as we read the Word of God, and as we fellowship with the Jesus, Jesus of the Word of God, and as we let the Holy Spirit illuminate us, our lives will be filled with hope. He gives light. Man, going through John has been tremendous. And I've taught John a couple times. And, I, and I'm going through it and I'm seeing it all differently. Not different contradictory. I'm just seeing new things in it. How? How am I seeing deeper? How am I seeing what uh, different angles? How am I seeing? Because the Holy Spirit teaches us. And you know what? You might think there's a, oh, wow, Raph, you're so privileged. Oh, my goodness, it's just you. No, no, no. John, 1 John says, you, we believers, have an anointing. And that anointing teaches us so that we don't need anyone to teach us, but the Spirit himself teaches us. So as you read the Word of God for yourself, under the guidance and the confidence and the love of the Holy Spirit, he will speak to your heart. He will build your life. He will build a life of hope and love. I mean, my goodness, Paul writes, Paul prays that we may know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to God's desire for us. 
fire illuminates that we may know the love of God. A lot of times we are anxious. A lot of times we compare ourselves to people. A lot of times we are insecure. A lot of times we are self-preserving because we are just simply not confident in the love of God for us. The fire also warms up. And this is, oof, this is one of my favorites. We must not be cold Christians. Doesn't mean we have to be exuberant Christians. It doesn't mean that we have to be super excited Christians. It doesn't mean that we have to be super superficial and, and big on top, but little at the bottom. I remember uh, just this, you know, sometimes cliche-ish and, and these people that are just way up here, no, no, but just warm, a warmth. The warmth of God, the warmth of Jesus. To have a sense of his presence with us. To have a sense of his goodness towards us. And you know, these last few weeks have been cold. And my favorite place has been my little chimney. I've got a little, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I have a Norwegian chimney. It's a cast iron thing. And you know what? I take the Bible seriously. And the Bible says, do not let the fire go out. And I don't let the fire go out. And I stick right next to it. <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's a big, when you're cold, particularly when you're cold and you're, you're cold in the bones. And you know, people are cold. People are cold towards God. People are cold towards one another. And here the Holy Spirit warms. Not artificial knowledge. Not an appearance to be warm. Not a foul cabinet mentality of the Word of God. I used to remember Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel would say, um, he would talk about the Bible scholars. And, and at one point he was on the radio and um, he was on the radio with Greg Laurie and some scholar and the, and, and the and the people, the, the scholars said, well, everybody knows that there are two Isaiahs that wrote Isaiah. And Pastor Chuck said, but Jesus quoted from the first part of Isaiah and from the second part of Isaiah, and he never made a distinction between two different prophets. And then the scholar said, Jesus didn't have the knowledge that we have. He would have his book. And the line cut. And Pastor Greg Laurie called Pastor Chuck to say, you got cut off. And he says, I didn't get cut off. I hung up. He says, why did you hang up? He says, how do you argue with someone that's smarter than Jesus? <laughs> or thinks they're smarter than Jesus. But I remember he would always say this. I'm not a Bible scholar. I am a Bible lover. The Holy Spirit produces warmth, produces love towards the Bible. You don't have to understand everything. As you read, read it one, one year, you read it two years, and, and, and there's these things that just stick out to you. Sometimes you were like, I didn't get anything today. And then you find yourself sharing with someone and everything you read that you thought you got nothing out of just flows out. 
but the warmth. Now, the Spirit brings warmth. And then finally, uh, we're moving towards the Spirit of God brings assurance that Christians know that his sins are forgiven. Romans 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Notice that word shed. Uh, the love of God is not dropped, not even slightly poured, shed. I really believe that this assurance of God's love and God's grace is what was the final straw that broke, sort of, that broke, not immediately, but eventually broke Saul of Tarsus's will. You see, when Stephen preached his first message there to the people, Saul was there, and he was, whole, he, he was one of the people that were angry, and they were ready to kill him. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus, voted for Stephen to be killed. And Stephen said some very direct things. He was confident, he was bold, but he was assured. And he says, you stiff-necked people. But then they looked at his face, and they saw his face that shone like an angel. And then he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And it says that Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. You know, just right there, just, he just saw the Lord, and there was assurance there. You see, Saul of Tarsus, it was all works. It was all due. It was all not knowing, just, just loss. And he saw a guy that had everything he longed for because this guy was confident, he was assured, he was loving, he was glowing by the Spirit of God. Eric. Stephen wasn't trying to share with them to win his salvation. He was assured, he had assurance. And we're going to take communion now. And I thought it would be good to finish with this. Um, so they, they will pass out the elements. You will take the bread uh, by yourself, and then we'll take the cup together afterwards. So during the song, you can take the bread. Uh, and, and then afterwards, uh, we will pray and give thanks together for, um, for the blood. But the Holy Spirit also leads us to a place where the Christian knows that he is a child of God and a special object of God's love. And this leads in our lives 
to a realization that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us. And this, in turn, leads us to a place where we, as we see him, it says, whom having not seen you love, it brings us to a place of love and appreciation to Jesus. And it brings us, the Holy Spirit, he brings us to a place of gratitude. I think the Christian life, if there's if, if something that is the most, uh, the most, the greatest attribute the Christian should have, it's love and appreciation to God. Gratitude. And we, 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 um, we sang a song today, one of the, I think it was the last one, by Matt Redman. And when I lived in London, Matt was there in England, and, he, and we were a part of, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of, a lot of things going on. A lot of manifestations of the Spirit. Some quite sketchy. Others, they're there. But Matt got caught up in all of it. You know, I don't know if, if you're familiar, but in the 90s, there were people walking around on leashes with dogs, like dogs, and they called that submission to the Spirit. I mean, this is some of the stuff that was going on. Other people were uh, pre saying that they were being drunk in the spirit and that they were just gonna just just be out of control in many ways but matt was caught up in all this and then sometimes we get caught up with enthusiasm and so he wrote this song he wrote i'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you it's all about you jesus and i want to say this the holy spirit would lead you to a place of love gratitude that leads us into a closer and deeper relationship to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not an egocentric person that talks about himself all the time. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity and his purpose is to cause us to, to invigorate us into a life towards Jesus. And, and he said it like, I mean, Jesus said it. Jesus is when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me, of me. And he's going to bring us. I mean, he desires to bring you and I into a loving, deep, grateful relationship with Jesus. And so, in case you think we got off topic, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing to everlasting life. And in case we think that this, that, that means the, the water means the word of God or something like that, which in some places of the Bible, the water is the word of God. But here it says, 
in, in uh, chapter 7, it says, 38, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life? And if you're not, I would say to you what I said to Loretta years ago. He is outside of your heart. He is with you. Will you allow him to come into you? Will you allow him to come upon you? Would you allow him to have control over your life and lead you of, to, into a life of hope, love, and gratitude? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. What a privilege it is, Father, to have it. And there's no better person in the universe than you. You are incomparable like we sang today. And we don't want to be distracted. Lord, we want eyes to see you. And Lord, I thank you that you said you would not leave us as orphans, but you would send the Spirit, and we experience your Holy Spirit. And if anyone here does not know you, I pray that you will melt their hearts today. And Lord, as we take communion, We just want to express our gratitude. That you paid for that which we could never pay. There's the greatest debt a man could ever have. You brought power to a place where we were impotent. It is the greatest salvation that is ever, ever to be experienced. You loved like nobody's ever loved before. And it is the greatest comfort and security we could ever experience. And Father, we want to say we thank you. And we want to say that we love you. And we want to ask you to have your way in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.